this evening. Um, I'm going to share with you Psalm 32. Uh, it's a psalm written by David, and it's called a maskil. Uh, a maskil is a title for some of the psalms, and some scholars will say that they believe that this means that it's a teaching psalm, and this one is. Um, it's a teaching psalm, in other words, that uh, the psalmist is the author of this beautiful poetry that is written to instruct and to teach. And tonight, the theme of our service and the theme of, um, of, of our worship is, how can I forgive myself? We're going to address that problem, but not in the way that a lot of us think that we're going to address it, because a lot of the time that we think about uh, the problems that we have, it's very introspective. But the Christian faith is beautiful because of this, is that a lot of our problems that we have are solved ultimately by the God who forgives on the outside. And if we don't understand how he works on the outside, we'll never understand how we can deal with ourselves, our own guilt, and our own sin. The perfect teacher of a maskil, a teaching psalm about repentance, is David. Do you know why? Any guesses? He had things to repent for, Chris says, and he's right. David, King David, lived a thousand years before Jesus, and he was, from a political standpoint, an awesome king, uh, military genius. Um, he, he, he's a very, the most popular king in all of uh, Israel's history, really, and the most successful in many ways. However, he was deeply flawed in that he committed, well, he did a number of things. He was a homebreaker. He broke up a family. He committed adultery, and then, to cover it all up, he committed murder. And for a long time in his life, well, not a long time in his life, but for a, a significant season of his life, he hid that sin away on the inside. And in the psalm, you're going to hear this teacher, remember he's our teacher tonight, talking about how it feels to have sin that's hidden away and unconfessed before God. Um, he's, the, he's the perfect teacher for us if and how we suffer when we sin too. Um, we lust, we are greedy. Um, by nature, we're prideful, we're self-seeking, and we're everything that David does. We just have the privilege of not having our story printed in the Bible. <laughs> he had his printed in the Bible, and many, many times our sin is easily hidden away. And so you're going to feel the same things that he feels. Um, addicts today, um, substance abuse or otherwise, they, they'll tell you that the person that has really helped them get out of that addiction is a person who has gone through it themselves. And that's sort of how I think about David. You and I have the addiction of sin by nature. And if we are ever going to get out, we're going to need a mentor like David to say, hey, this is my God. This is what he's done for me. And this is how I deal with my sin and how God has dealt with my sin. So to think about the question differently, um, how can I forgive myself is really to look into the grace of God like David does. Okay. So the background I think I covered here, this is one of seven penitential Psalms. Um, the, the scholars and commentators will point out uh, that talk about um, specifically uh, remorse over sin and belief in God, repentance, uh, who forgives. We're going to go into three different areas. There's 11 verses. The first area we're going to go is where does re true repentance come from? Then we're going to go into for whom is true repentance or repentance? And the final thing that we're going to see is um, what does repentance produce? Okay, so uh, where does it come from? Who is it for? What does it produce? Psalm 32, a maskil by David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Okay, the first takeaway is this. 
Um, forgiveness is a verdict or a declaration by God. I'm gonna show you that from the text. Do you mind if I move this just a little bit? To maybe, is that gonna help you see a little better? Um, look at, first of all, uh, the words for sin. You have three of them. There's transgressions, there's sin, and then in verse two, there's another place that it says sin. In the Hebrew, it's really interesting to look at it. Um, I'm gonna geek out a little bit on the Hebrew here because I think it's fun for me and it's important too for us to understand this. The word transgressions here is a word that means rebellion. It's a different word that's used from the next two ways. The second word that's used there is kata in Hebrew, whose sins are covered. And that word is the, I'm gonna say kind of the, um, it's the catechism class type of definition of the word sin. Have you heard this? Maybe if you went through catechism class with a pastor, it's to miss the mark, like an archer who has an arrow, lets it go, and it does not hit the bullseye. Uh, it's supposed to hit the bullseye. The same is true of God when he talks about sin. Do this, don't do that. When you do, don't do the things that God tells you to do and you, you do the things that he tells you not to do, you're missing the mark. That's the word, and it's a general word for sin in the Hebrew. And then the third one in verse two is yet another one. The Hebrew word is un, and the word for sin there means something that's twisted or something that's not right, something that's on the inside and makes you feel guilty. It's, it's just uh, saturated with this feeling of guilt. Okay, now do you get a good picture of what sin is? From this brief definition, we can put it all together. Sin is a rebellion that misses the mark of what God says and it creates guilt. And as a creature who struggles with the addiction of sin, you should feel guilt. And if you don't feel guilt, you need to go back to God's word the Ten Commandments and his will and say, how does God want me to live? What does he want me to do or not to do? And then reevaluate. Then you're gonna learn what sin really is. Our conscience can help us with sin, like even an unbeliever in God can know what feels right and not right to do. But when you get into God's word, you get a true meaning of what it means to miss the mark. And when you do that in front of a holy God, it creates the feeling of guilt, the last one, the un. Okay, but the, the point that we're getting at here is that right next to the sins that are listed here, there are these verbs, and the verbs are all in the passive. Look at this, transgressions are forgiven, sins are covered, the Lord does not count against them. And this is the beautiful first truth about repentance and where it starts. It starts with well, it doesn't start with the blessed one. Let's get start there. The blessed one is the one transgressing, the one sinning, the one rebelling, the one um, that's guilty, but the one who does all of the forgiving, the one who covers the sin, and the one who does not count sin against us is God. That's what makes the blessed one blessed. It's not that the blessed one has done anything or has uh, acted better than some people. Let's say like they're in the 90th percentile of holy people. None of that. It's the fact that God declares that innocent person or that guilty person innocent. Um, and the first objection that people will have to this teaching that God forgives sins is this. Does God care about sin or does he just let it pass off? Is he actually a just God? Does he a God that, that uh, sees sin and, 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 and wants to do something about it or is he like a grandpa that just lets his the grandkids do whatever they want to have fun and spoil them? And people have real issues with this. And if you're one that has thought about this before, it's a real 
issue that, um, that has turned people away from the Christian faith. I remember back in my seminary days on tour through uh, Turkey, our tour guide had a great knowledge of the Bible and history, even better than many of us seminarians, I'd say. And so it came to a point in the tour that we had to find out when we asked him, we said, what is your true feeling about Christianity? You know, you give these tours and you, you talk a lot about it. And he said this, he said, you know what? There's a lot of good stuff in the Bible, but the thing that turns me off is that if you tell people they are forgiven, they will what? Keep on sinning. Well, he was putting his finger on the dilemma of a God who is both just and a God who is loving. Do you see that? I'm gonna illustrate this in two different stories. The first one is this. Imagine that you are a young man or a young woman that's got your first car and it just happens to be a sports car, okay? And I mean, you really wanna open this thing up and take it down the road. And so you're like, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna you know, get onto the open road, I-35. Well, that's oxymoron, but maybe it's a back country road. And you say, I'm gonna take this on a back country road. I'm gonna open this thing up and take it all the way. And you open it up all the way and you're going 105 down this country road and, and all of a sudden, sure enough, the lights in the back of your mirror, you pull over to the side and you get a ticket. And it's a, bet, it's a big one because you're going 40 over. And you didn't see it. You thought it was a country road. There's actually construction going on in this zone. So actually, you, you say to yourself, first of all, wow, I'm going to be in big trouble. But then you remember, oh, wait, this is good news. My dad is the judge of this county. And he loves me, right? Unconditionally. He, he, he loves me all the way through. There's, uh, you know, he forgave me that one time that I broke his $1,000 TV with a little toy. And uh, he loves me when I, I, I was naughty at home and he, he still cares for me. And even when I messed up, he would forgive me. But then you think to yourself, but wait a second, my dad didn't get this job as a judge just by being lenient. And when he's in the courtroom, even when he was at home, when I had to eat my peas, he was strict. He was fair. And I know that he didn't make it to the position that he's at by not being fair. And in fact, I'm a little bit scared because when I walk in front of his courtroom, I know how he's going to judge this when he calls a spade a spade. And so you go to the courtroom and sure enough, dad's the judge and he, look, he looks at the facts. He sees this, the ticket. The police officer shows up and testifies against you and you can't deny it that you're guilty. He brings down the gavel guilty. And then he says, the, the sentencing is this, $10,000 fine or 30 days in jail. Take your pick. And you say, well, you, you say, I'm, I'm going to look for a job <laughs> in the next 30 days and I'm going to pay this thing down. You say, I'm going to take the $10,000 fine and you're, you're ashamed of yourself. You know that it's right that he did what he did to judge you this way, but he's your father. And you can't deny that. You start walking out of the courtroom and then he says this. He says, son, daughter, come up here. Pulls out of his pocket, his checkbook, opens it up and writes a $10,000 check for you. Now let me ask you, is that judge fair? Yes. Is that judge loving? Yes. You see, the justice for the crime didn't go away and he didn't excuse it, but he actually said, this is going to be the real payment for this. This is going to be the real sentencing. And then he takes on the sentencing himself. Do you see how grace works? 
Do you see how a declaration from God does not dismiss sin, but it actually confronts it? And the, the second illustration is similar to the first. There's um, the story of a chief in this tribe um, that is going through a terrible drought. There's extreme famine in this uh, camp, and it happens that uh, the people start to steal from one another. The stealing goes on, and it becomes rabid. The chief says, this is going to be the end to, of all of us unless I do something to stop it. And he says, I'm going to make a law. The next person who gets caught stealing is going to be brought into the middle of the camp. Their hands are going to be tied up to a pole, and they're going to be brutally beaten as an example. Well, sure enough, the next night they catch a thief. And the whole town the next morning comes to the center of the camp to see who the thief is. Um, as they're gathered there, the thief is brought hand tied um, by, by the, the punisher to the center of the circle and it, ha and it turns out to be the chief's own mother. And she's frail and old. And the chief looks at her and he, well, let me ask you, what would you do? A beating of that magnitude would kill her but he had just made the law the day before. And so what does he do? He, he says, tie her up. This, I'm fair. This is what I said was going to happen. But it's his own mother. Before the punisher begins the whipping, the chief goes over, takes his shirt off, covers that frail body with his strong, broad arms. And he says, okay, start. He took every blow for his mother. Is that chief fair? Yeah. Is that chief loving? Yes. I've just described to you what the Bible says that God has done for you too. It's not that he's not fair and it's not that he just passes sin off. But when Jesus took the, the fall of sin and he took on the complete payment for it on the cross, that's where God shows his justice and his fairness and his love and his grace all in one. He wrote the check on the cross. He was the one that covered um, us with his broad shoulders and said, I'm going to take it on. And now today, this is where repentance starts. Do you feel guilty about sin? Say yes. Do you believe that God confronted sin, personal sin for you? Say Yes, because he has. And if you're caught up with the feeling of guilt on the inside, that's a good thing. That's a good start, but it's not the end of it. Repentance starts with a verdict or declaration by God that he took on the pain for you, that he took on the full punishment for you, and that's an act of love. And, he, and, 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 and that love is present in your life always. Okay. That's all I wanted to cover with the first point. Forgiveness is a verdict or declaration by God. Um, let's keep on reading. Verse three says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Okay, right there already, the word bones in the Hebrew, this is kind of interesting. The bones in Hebrew means strength because uh, the bones are the last thing to decay on the body. And, the bones, and so if the bones have wasted away, that really means that you've lost all of your strength. Um, and then it says, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Literally, my juice was 
drained is what the Hebrew says. And that's another word for strength is juice. It's kind of like saying, um, uh, I'm, I'm completely exhausted after weeding and mowing in the hot summer day. And uh, that's what he's saying about his inward feeling when he kept silent and he didn't, I'm gonna say, confess his sins. Again, there's also history behind this because he did commit sin and for a time, David was silent about his sin. He wouldn't admit it. But we're getting to our second point about who repentance is for. Verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Okay, we covered... Uh, where does repentance come from? Where does it start with God? Number two, uh, for whom is it? And the answer is the forgiveness is for the repentant who confess their sins. You see how David's eaten up inside with those words that he's using. He's, he's consumed by his sin and he doesn't know what to do with it. And as long as he's silent, the, the feeling of guilt builds up higher and higher and higher until he says, I can't do anything more with this. I gotta get it out and I've gotta confess it. And when he confesses it, everything is okay. In fact, he, he confesses it and God says, I forgive. Um, just a note about how we deal with our guilt. There's, there's a lot of, I guess, there's a lot of people who go to psychiatrists. I know, and, and I'm not talking about something that's been clinically diagnosed, but there's some things that, there's some things that modern medicine can't get to about guilt. And many times our doctors or our psychiatrists will try to divert the feelings of guilt or subdue them or explain them away. But guilt and the sin that produces that guilt has to be dealt with on some level. And that's only where the gospel can come in and address it head on. Um, and this is, where, um, this is where David has that problem. He could have excused his sins away and said, I was caught up in the moment and I have a high stress job and um, this was a stress reliever, I had to let loose. Why does everybody else get to do what they want to and God doesn't punish them and, and I'm held to a different standard? He could have used all sorts of different um, excuses for this, but he doesn't. He's honest with God, and this is what true repentance is all about, being honest with our sin. And when you're honest with your sin and you come forward to God, it's not something to be scared of, but it's actually something to find relief in. The story is about this boy and girl, their names are Seth and Ellie, and every summer, their parents would send them away to their Mimi and Papa's house, their grandma and grandpa's house in rural Kansas. Um, when Seth and Ellie got to their grandparents' house, they would see the horse and they would see the cows and they would see the pigs. They had these traditional farm animals on the farm, but there was one animal that was more special than any other animal on the farm, and that was Mimi's pet duck named Donna. Donna was her prized duck that was like a family member, a pet. And Donna would waddle around that barnyard like the queen of the farm. And she would, she, was even, she would even go into the house and have a place in the house to sit when she wanted to. Sometimes she would watch them eat dinner and she would sit by the fire with them on certain occasions. But Donna, she was like, the, she was like Mimi's second, I don't know, her third daughter or something like that. Well, one day, Seth, uh, he was playing in the barnyard with his slingshot. 
Okay, you already know where the story's going, I bet. Okay, and he's playing and he's hitting cans off of the, um, the fence and he's aiming, hitting them off the fence and, he's, and he got bored with that after a little while and all of a sudden, Donna comes out of the house for her afternoon swim and Seth, for just a moment, he looks over at her and he says, you know what? would be fun is to give Donna just a little scare. I'm not going to, and he aims just in front of her a little bit, just wants to give her a scare, lets that thing go. And he doesn't give her a scare. He gives her a, a rock to the head. Donna falls over, dies right there. Uh-oh. Seth runs over to Donna, picks her up, runs over to the little foresty area on the side of the farm. He digs a hole as fast as he can. He puts the, the duck's body in there and he covers it up and then he puts the shovel away and he acts like nothing happens. That night at, at dinner, at the end of dinner, um, Mimi and Papa, they said, okay, it's time for dishes and uh, tonight, uh, Ellie, it's your turn to do the dishes because uh, Seth did them last night because they took turns doing chores for Mimi and Papa. And all of a sudden, uh, Ellie says, no, I don't think so. I don't want to do the chores. I don't want to do the dishes tonight. And Mimi and Papa, they started talking about why is she to be not listening to us? And, and all of a sudden, Seth says, you got to do the dishes. That's your job. She leans over to him and she says, I saw everything. And Seth says, what do you mean you saw everything? And Ellie says, quack, quack. <laughs> All of a sudden, Seth says, I'll do the dishes. And you know what? For the next two weeks, every time it was Ellie's turn to take out the trash, it was Ellie's turn to hang out the laundry or do any chores, do you know who did them for her? It was Seth. And every time that Seth complained, Ellie would say what? Quack, quack. He was living with a sin in his heart that was hidden away. And for that whole time, he was Ellie's slave, pretty much. Well, it got to the point that he couldn't take it anymore. He was done doing the chores for his sister. And he said, it's time to confess. He went up in the afternoon to his Mimi's room. She was reading a book by the window and he came in and he said, Mimi, I'm so sorry. I gotta tell you this, Donna did not run away, but I accidentally killed her with my slingshot. And Mimi closed her book and put it down on the stand and she looked at him and she said, I know Seth, I saw everything from my window up here and I forgive you. Now don't let your sister boss you around anymore. And you know what? She couldn't because that sin that he had confessed was so liberating that he confessed it to the one that he needed forgiveness from and that one that gave him that forgiveness allowed him not to live underneath the slavery of his sin anymore. When you and I confess to God, don't be hesitant to go into that room. You know why? Because he has the window of you and he's seen everything that you and I have done. And when he sees it, he's also fair and what? Loving, just like we learned in number one. So that when you come to him, you're not coming to a, a, an executioner, you're coming to your savior. And when he says that you're forgiven, well, let me put it this way. Do you think that Seth wanted to do chores for his Mimi after that? I think so. 
I think he'd be really glad to do that because he knows that he's loved and he's accepted and he's forgiven. And so he has this new, new lease on life again that says, I'm not going to do chores because I'm, I'm afraid of God or I'm afraid of this being found out, but I'm going to do these chores. I'm going to live my life for God because I have gratitude towards him. And that's the way that God has told us and our, our new life is. When we repent to God and we're truly penitent about our sin, that is a freeing thing because God gives us the assurance of our forgiveness and we can say, I can live out of gratitude now every chore that I do for God and, and, and in every way that I express my love for other people through that. So, uh, number one, forgiveness is a de- declaration of God. Number two, forgiveness is given to the repentant who confess their sins. And finally, in our last portion of the psalm, David talks about what true repentance produces, okay? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now, some people take verse 8 as meaning um, God talking to people. Um, I prefer just reading it the way that I've studied it to say that this is David talking to you and me. And in verse 8, I will instruct, I will teach you. These are actually cohortatives. So that means that it's saying, let me instruct you. Let me teach you. Let me counsel you because I don't want you to go through. How many times have dads said this to their sons or mom said it to their daughters? I don't want you to go through what I had to go through. So let me impart wisdom on you. Okay. And the wisdom I want to give you is that when you confess, not only are you freed from your sins, but it produces a life of joy. And that's our final point. Forgiveness of sins produces joy for the forgiven. And that's exactly what we have in verse 11. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Be glad. You're called righteous. Sing. All of these uh, verbs, all of these imperatives actually are saying, this is what God has created you to be. You're no longer uh, held underneath the, the, the burden of your sin, but you're released from it. Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, he said this one time, he said, the entire life of the Christian is repentance. And I heard that growing up because I listened to Lutheran sermons. The entire life of the Christian is repentance. I always thought to myself when I heard that the first time that that means that we should feel guilty all the time because you can take it that way. I always thought to myself, that must mean that if I'm a Christian, that I'm always down on my knees, that I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm mo- moving moment to moment afraid of what I've done, and I have to repent it, I have to confess it, unless, uh, or God won't forgive it, and I, and I gotta do that. And to tell you the truth, when I reflect on this psalm more and more, especially verse 11, it's actually the exact opposite. The entire life of the Christian, uh, the entire life of the Christian is repentance, actually means that you are when you address sin in your life and, and, and you're repentant about it, you're actually freed and you're actually joyful because you're not underneath that, that pain any longer. It's not a guilt, it's a grace statement. And what it produces is joy. And what I mean joy and what the Bible means when it talks about joy is not, a ha- not some sort of happiness, happy-go-lucky, bubbly, I'm gonna be ha- smile on my face all the time and things are gonna go great for me. I'm gonna be uh, a millionaire if, if I'm following Jesus correctly. No, none of that. That's not what that means. But the life of joy that the Bible talks about is like a spring that wells up 
a spring that stays the same temperature year round, like that spring downtown uh, Austin that comes up from the ground, that stays the same temperature year round, no matter if there's cloudy skies, no matter if there's sunny skies, it, it's always there. And that's what grace is in our life. It's always there and it's always bubbling up whether your skies in your life are sunny or whether they are gray and cloudy. I'm gonna close with a true story. Um, this is a story about this family and I, it was passed on to me this last week, but uh, their story happened two years ago tomorrow. Uh, the young man in this picture, uh, he was 28 when this was taken. His name is Jameson. His wife is um, Catherine. I think I got those names right. Yeah, Catherine. And their three children there are under the age of four. Uh, his family was on their way all together uh, driving through Nebraska when all of a sudden they came, they did come to a construction zone and there was a distracted truck driver behind them that rear-ended them and they all perished, the entire family, in the car wreck. It's a real tragedy. They were on their way to study for a missionary trip that they were gonna go over to Japan to do. It came time <clears throat> for the trial and the truck driver was found guilty of reckless driving uh, and he was about to be sentenced. The sentencing for this, uh, and it was a sentence of manslaughter and murder, um, it, it usually is something like seven to 10 years in prison for something as serious as this. Jameson and Catherine's parents, they came to the trial. And before the sentencing, they were able to talk to the judge as is uh, normal. And they, 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 had a, they had a statement that they had prepared, both parents from both sides. And this is what they said. Um, first of all, is, this is Rick, the Jameson's father. Tony Weekly is the truck driver. I struggled to find the words to describe the grief that gripped me, Pals said, reading from an impact statement he wrote for the sentencing of Tony Weekly. I know how much God has forgiven me. How can I not forgive you? I am not in the position of authority to extend you mercy, Tony. However, I can request mercy for you. Some people would call this a super natural act of forgiveness. And this was published uh, in news stories around the United States that he would say this. But do you, see where he, do you see where he gets his forgiveness from? Do you think Tony Weekly could ever forgive himself by himself? No. Do you think that you can forgive yourself by yourself? No. It takes a God on the outside that says, I forgive not just you, but I forgive the sins of the whole world, and I forgive Rick, the grandfather. I forgive you your sins. And that's what he's saying right here when he says, I know how much God has forgiven me. The life of repentance produces joy in your life, and this is a cloudy sky. This, this sky for Rick, the grandfather, is, is stormy. There's, there's no way he could forgive, but he remembers how much he is forgiven because he's living constantly underneath this life of repentance that produces that spring of joy even when the clouds are gray. Amazing? Amazing. Okay, and then the next statement comes from Catherine's father. Um, he says, in court on Friday, Rick, well, this is the news story talking. In court on Friday, Rick asked the judge for leniency, and he wasn't the only one to do so. We asked the court to give the maximum allowable grace, said Gordy Engel, Catherine Powell's father, reading from the letter he and his wife Nancy wrote the judge. 
we've had people say, well, you have to be super Christians. No, we're just plain people, but we have a super God that just lifted us up, Gordy said. Uh, Friends, I just wanna share that with you because that same kind of forgiveness that is spoken about in that courtroom is, is the forgiveness that God gives you too. No matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, he gives you his forgiveness and it's a verdict. He doesn't play loose with the law. He, he's totally fair and he's given you his life on the cross. And so when you struggle to forgive yourself and maybe there's something in your life that you're going away with tonight that you're thinking, how can I ever forgive myself? You have a God who's infinitely smarter than you and has seen it all. And he says, my son has taken it on and he forgives you. Forgive yourself. You have a God that says, my door is wide open and when you come through my door, I'm here to forgive you, not to punish you. That was done on the cross. So confess your sins. Be open with them to God. Be open with them to your spiritual guides and your leaders, the ones that can say, when you say, I'm sorry, and I've done this in my life, they can say, I'm gonna assure you that you're forgiven and that you have God's seal of approval, that you have a life that's defined now by joy and singing, and, and, and I know that you don't feel that right now, but that's that spring that's coming up in your life. And when you come into his room and you confess your sins and you repent, that you go before God who has written the check for you and covered you with his arms. Amen.